Good morning, everyone. We're going to do Luke 14 this morning. It happened that when he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. Here we are again with the Sabbath. And I believe the problems that the Pharisees had with Jesus regarding the Sabbath are a symbol of the problem of a devotion to the law without being transformed from the heart and out of faith really wanting to follow God and see the lost come to know him. The Pharisees were legalistic Jews uh, adhering to the law in in things law, but not adhering to the things of God from the heart. And he was... Jesus was very frustrated with that. And in addition, uh, the people of the law, the, the Pharisees, they made laws on top of laws, meaning instead of just following the Old Testament law, they defined what it meant to follow the law. In particular with the Sabbath, there were some 100 plus pages of additional writings not recorded in the Bible that were that the Jews followed as a means of saying this is what it means to honor God on the Sabbath by resting on the seventh day. Everything from sewing to knitting to cooking, you name it, it was on the list as far as exactly what you could and could not do, which wasn't discussed in detail in that way in the Old Testament. And Jesus isn't happy with their understanding of the Sabbath. And, you know, now today... Now, it's interesting because Jesus, we didn't get to the church age in Jesus's life until his death and then his resurrection. So right now, Jesus essentially is under the law and living as a Jew, but he's beginning to pronounce the gospel and the church age that is to come where there's going to be changes to what it means to follow God. And we're not going to be under the law anymore. The Apostle Paul said, let no one judge you in regards to a Sabbath. And I believe that's in Colossians chapter 2 or 3. Let no one judge you in regards to a Sabbath. So there's been a significant change to the Sabbath. And Jesus is beginning to inaugurate that change while he was doing his ministry on the earth. So while he's in the room with the Pharisees, and there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy, And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and said, and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He knew that they were there to question him and accuse him if they can, but they kept silent. And he took hold of him, the one who had dropsy, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well? and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. And this they could make no reply. So Jesus is saying, come on, guys, you know, stop being so strict on the Sabbath and realize that you can do good things. And he was an example of of doing things often on the Sabbath that they disagreed with. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests, and he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, 
and then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What a, what a great lesson from Jesus. And to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, is to not position yourself with honor, but to position yourself with humility and trust that God knows who you are. Trust that God is going to reward you one day in heaven and not seek to be in the place of honor, but just to be a humble follower of Jesus and allow God to honor you at the proper time. And uh, what a great lesson that is. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That This really challenged me. I read ahead a little bit yesterday, and then again, of course, to prepare for you guys this morning as I, you know, yeah, studied prior. But I just feel like, man, I, perhaps you would agree, and maybe we as a church, it's like, you tend to want to hang out with or spend time with people that you want to spend time with. And, you know, what this is saying is, you know what? Go out of your way to invest into everybody and anybody and not just those you want to hang out with. And in this case, it's talking about, you know, being repaid by trying to invite people of honor so then, you know, you will be honored or, you know, they can repay you or invite you to something. I don't know that that's something that I think about, but I, I do think that I think most of us, and I, I don't, sorry if I'm lumping you in here, but we tend to just hang out with who we want to hang out with. And what this is saying is, you know, go to the anybody's, the nobodies. Uh, the people that need a friend and spend time with them because they matter to the kingdom of God just as much as anybody else. And when you do that, the Lord sees and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And man, Lord, help me to see how I, we, our church, how we can, um, you know, just, just go to the anybody's and, and help us to notice those who need you, your love, um, no matter who they are. And um, to see, you know, when people recognize they have a need, if you're poor, crippled, lame, or blind, you, you recognize you have a need. And people who are willing to recognize their need are more likely to come to Jesus. And those with pride who don't feel like they have a need, a lot of times they'll not come to Jesus. And, it, you know, we all have a need. We all have a need for the grace of God. We all have a need for forgiveness of sin. Sometimes we don't see it. But uh, these people definitely see their need. And a lot of times they'd be more receptive to the gospel than those with pride. And we should be 
looking to go to those that would be receptive to the message of the gospel. He's going to share a similar parable. I think some of today's teachings are um, challenging, and I'm thankful for them. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, heard that, you know, hey, go invite the lame, blind, and crippled, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Um, so this is someone at the table saying, Jesus, to Jesus, blesses everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. And, and he's right, right? But Jesus said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is ready now. Now, this is interesting because I believe the picture here is Father God is going to have a dinner in heaven. And uh, at some point, everything's going to be ready. Um, now, this could be uh, a reference to the rapture. Um, you could, if you don't believe in that, you, you could look at it as the return of Christ. Um I believe after the rapture, there's going to be a, a, a celebration in heaven. And anyways, look look what's happening. Come for everything is ready. So this this owner is, who's having the big dinner is telling his servants to go out and invite everyone because everything's now ready for the dinner. But they all make excuses. And I, I believe this is like people making excuses about, you know, I don't want to come to Christ right now. I want to do my own thing. Um, and, and they begin to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Doesn't want to go to the dinner right now. Has his own things to do. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Oh, you know, I got I to gotta do this. I have work to do. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, crippled, the blind, and the lame. And what this is showing is that God wants his house full. He wants his banquet well attended. And God is honored in all people coming to him, he has a desire to see all people come. And it doesn't matter to him, you know, if they're blind, lame, poor, cripple. Man, he wants us in his house. He wants us at his heavenly banquet. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Go out and get people, compel them. And this is now the, the witnesses, his, his slaves, his servants, us, to go out and compel people to come to Jesus. Because if they don't respond, one day he's going to come and it'll be too late. It'll be too late and they will miss out on the dinner. And if this were a, a vague reference to the rapture, <clears throat> there will be a chance for those who <clears throat> are not invited. Excuse me. There will be a chance for those who are not invited to come to Christ during the tribulation. However, it's going to be through a time of suffering and 
many will have to give their life in order to come to Christ. And it's going to be far better if you accept his invitation. And um, may we and all those we love accept the invitation now so that when he comes, we're ready to celebrate with him in heaven. Hallelujah. This shows, though, I, I just think it shows God's heart. He wants heaven filled up. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. And he wants us to have the same attitude because we're his disciples. So, like, we want to fill up heaven. We want to help people know. We want to help people accept his invitation. And and you know what? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, meaning you're a follower of him, evangelism is not for somebody else. It's for you. It's for you. We all have to play our part. We can't just say, oh, well, that's not my gift. We need to compel friends, family to come home to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what that's what disciples do. And we should be caring about people around us, anybody, whoever would be willing. That's what these parables are about. Is is sometimes too, it's not about just family. I mean, praise God that we love our family and we want to see our family, and I do too, come to the Lord. But he's saying, you know what, if they're saying no then we got to go to other people and invest into other people and spend time. Hey, invite people over to your home that somebody else that you, you got, uh, you know, someone that can be, you can be a fresh witness to. That's what he's saying all throughout these parables. And may our heart be more in tune with God and may we be more sacrificial in how we serve God's kingdom in this way. Now, large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we've 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 heard these teachings from Jesus before, and they're they're hard teachings. And there's two reasons why I think he's saying this. Uh, One is his ministry was short term and the crowds were going along with him. And it's like, if you wanted to follow him at that moment, you're going to have to leave everything to follow him. His ministry wasn't going to last long. And at this point, maybe there's only a year left in his journey. Number two, uh, if you come to Jesus Christ as a Christian, and, and this would be true of some of you and your families, if, you know, it's hard enough sometimes when, say, you grew up Catholic or you grew up Lutheran, and and sometimes you, you leave that and you you know, you maybe become a born-again Christian or whatever, not that there can't be a Catholic or Lutheran that is born again, but at times there'll be great contention in your family because of the fact that you left the faith. Well, how much more so in Judaism to leave Judaism to become a follower of Christ, you're going to have people, you're going to be an outcast in your family, and you're going to have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters that are going to tell you you're crazy and they may even oust you because they may kick you out of the synagogue and they may say, listen, you're not, you're, you, you have disowned your parents' faith. You are not honoring your parents. And although we are supposed to honor our father and mother, Jesus comes first. And sometimes coming to Jesus is going to create division in your family. And you can't deny the Christ in order to make everybody happy. We have to get him right. And if it came for a decision between 
whether we whether we're going to follow Jesus or whether we're going to make a family happy by not following Jesus, there's no question what we need to do. We need to follow Jesus, and 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 that's why he's saying these things. Because if we if we felt our devotion to our family was above him, then we may not come to him. And that's the most important thing: is that we come to him and that we're promised heaven and that we're invited to his heavenly banquet. Um, listen to what it says next, verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if it has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, Imagine if you had something half-built. You know, you started building a house, and then you didn't have the money to finish it. They'd say, this man began to build and was unable to finish. Now, there's there was there's a cost to coming to Jesus, you know, and sometimes it's the cost of friendships or family relationships, but otherwise, other times it might be the cost of giving up, uh, giving up reckless gambling, giving up pornography, giving up, uh, you know, intentional lust, giving up um, living for the world, giving up maybe worldly music or concerts or rock concerts you used to love so much, but you, you sinned so much when you were giving up uh, hanging out in bars where you began to, you know, get in, in, in intertwined with sin. Um, you may be giving up relationships that lead you astray. You know, there is a cost to coming to Jesus. There's things that now you say no to because you've said yes to Jesus. And, you know, Sometimes we try to make it so easy to come to Christ. And I, I mean, I think it is easier in the end. I mean, you know, I tell you what, it's been a blessing for me to follow Jesus. I, I'm so thankful for how following him has blessed my life. I am so grateful to God and I would never want to go back. But life did change. And there's things that I don't do, you know, that I used to do that I don't do anymore. And it's important that we turn away from whatever we should turn away from in order to turn toward Jesus. And, you know, for some, this is very real. Maybe they had family. You know, I'm grateful that my parents were supportive, uh, even though I was really the first one to come to born again faith um, and began to tell them about Jesus. And, you know, praise God, my parents have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They always believed in him, but, you know, they can speak for themselves, but their faith was a little bit different when they were younger. And, but they weren't, they were encouraging towards me and, uh, but some aren't going to have it that way. So anyways, you know, make sure when you've come to Jesus, you never turn back, count the cost, follow him all the way to the end. It's, it's time to finish church. It's time to finish your faith. Let's finish our faith all the way until he returns or to our dying day. May we remain in faith in him. Or what king, when he has, verse 31, sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. Now, man, what a strong word. I want you to think about this. You're a king and you're 
you know, considering there's a battle potentially between you and a neighboring king, and uh, the neighboring king you realize is stronger, and you realize this is not going to make sense to fight because you're going to lose, and you're going to lose a lot of lives, and you know, you may lose your life, you may lose everything you have, and you realize that comes to a point in this particular situation where you're going to have to send a delegation and ask for terms of peace because that's the wisest thing that you can do. So you send a delegation to the other king and the other king says, well, listen, you got to serve me. Uh, Your, your land becomes my land. Um, Your, 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 your lives become servants of my kingdom. I am taking over your kingdom. So listen, I'll allow you to live, uh, but now you need to be devoted to me. You've lost your king, your kingship. I'm now the king, and you've lost your land. Your land is now mine, but we're going to allow you to live, but you must live for me. And essentially, that's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Like, count the cost. You know what? When you came to Jesus Christ, he became your king. Uh, his your stuff became his, <laughs> you know, we're not going to take any of this with us, anything that we have in this life. And we need to see ourselves now as servants of his king kingdom. He's our king. And uh, now we live for him. And, you know, it, it's interesting because it says, so then none of you can be my disciple does not give up all of his possessions. And I, I've yet to really see, you know, where that happens, like literally where you give up all of your possessions. Now, have there been people in history of literally just give everything up? I'm sure there have been. Um, I think that's probably pretty rare. So what does Jesus mean by this? And gosh, what a question to even answer, right? Lord, so Lord, may I honor you and in, in what I say. Um, because I think there's a place for some people maybe hear the call of Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to give up everything I have uh, and just serve Jesus wholeheartedly, and I'm no longer going to have possessions. Um, that would be a, an honoring thing to do. Uh, but I think an, another way to interpret this would be to say, what if you said, you and your, your wife, you you know, if you're married, you said, you know what, honey, we got to live as though we're living for Jesus. We got to live as though all of this is for Jesus. Everything we have, how can we use what we have to serve God's kingdom? None of this we're going to take with us. We can't take our home, our cars, our retirement, our possessions. You know, really it's all God's because this is his kingdom. So how can we view our lives and our possessions differently? Because we sent the delegation and the terms of peace was Jesus said, I want you to live for me now. And may we use our homes, um, our monies, anything that we've been given to say, God, the number one thing in my life is is I wanna I wanna serve you. And uh I think I think a lot of what we've heard today is radical um selflessness, um inviting the lame, the blind spending time with people who need Jesus rather than just people we want to spend time with, um, looking at our possessions as his and us here to serve his kingdom. 
may we contemplate these things to a greater degree and realize that what we're here to do is serve the King and one day he's coming back and uh, may we live to please and honor him. Therefore, salt is good. Now, salt was used to preserve things and to make them taste better. It was very important to salt meat back in that day. Otherwise, it would spoil so much quicker. Um, So, therefore, salt is good. But even salt, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And there's another passage in the Bible that says, you are the salt of the earth. And as we've come to Christ, we 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 bring seasoning to the earth. We bring God's seasoning to the earth and to others. But what happens if we lose that? What happens if we're really not a witness for Christ? Uh, then we're kind of like, you know, when our lives, when we have not come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our lives are really dead for the kingdom. We can't serve God until we believe in him. We can't point people to Jesus until we first have pointed ourselves to Jesus. But once we have, then what we need to do is live an authentic Christian life. And what's being said here is, you know, what if we came to Christ and then we lose our witness and we're just really not salty. We're really not Christ-like. We're really not a light. Then what good is it? It's like we're not really serving God the way that we should. So we are to be radical servants of his kingdom. And Lord, help us. Help us to, to take in your teaching and make you and your kingdom on this earth now even more of a priority until we wait for your full kingdom to come. Oh God, how we need this. So how easy it is to focus on me and uh, what we do need to focus on instead is his kingdom purposes. So God, challenge us, stir us, help us to love all those that are around us and point all those that are around us to you and help us to see everything we have as yours, God. And may we prioritize, Lord, living for your kingdom and for more people filling up your heavenly banquet. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your patience with us. Oh, Lord, make us more salty like you. Hallelujah and amen.